Hey there, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that today is not a typical episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show. John and I are collaborating on a longer episode today, but don't worry, we'll be back to our normal five to ten minute short form show very soon. With that said, good morning and welcome to the May 30th episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show, where we are on a mission to teach, learn, and remember the history of professional wrestling with everyone that wants to join us. My name is Ryan Joy. I'm joined by John DeCani, and we are talking about Jake the Snake Roberts today. And uh, I believe if I did all my research correctly, today's his birthday, and that's why we're doing it on today. Very nice. Happy birthday, Jake. Yes. And before we get started, first of all, good morning, Ryan. How are you this morning? Very good. Uh, before we get started, um, if, if you listen to the Daily Wrestling News show, uh, where, where Ryan and I alternate our uh, daily stories, you'll often hear me admit when I'm a mark for a particular company, a particular wrestler, a particular uh, event. No going into this Everything that I say is going to be filtered through the lens of the fact that Jake is my guy. He's my first guy. You know, when I tuned in, I, I wanted, I didn't care about Hulk Hogan. I really liked Randy, but the first guy who really grabbed me and pulled me into WWF and made me a lifer was Jake the Snake Roberts. Is he your favorite of all time, you think? That's a tough one only because of the weirdness of his career, you know, uh -huh. he, he, he would, he was such a great asset for the company and he had some incredibly memorable storylines, but the fact that they really, I mean, he never held a title other than, you know, stealing the million dollar title. So, you know, there might be an argument there for Brett to really be my favorite of all time, but Jake is, I mean, I'm, if I'm going to list them, the first two names that are going to come out of my mouth are Jake and Brett. And they couldn't be two more different people. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, Jake's career in WWE spanned basically 86 to 92. Right. And then again, 96 into the early part of 97. And then he would come back later and be a Hall of Famer. And I believe 2014 is sure. when he was uh, inducted. But John and I watched the A&E biography that aired on February 26th of 2023 uh, for the for this show. And interestingly, I don't think that they broke a lot of new ground in that in that biography. Yeah. Mainly only because, though, that the dark side of the ring on Grizzly Smith had come out only in the last year or so, uh, maybe the last two years. Because the first 40 minutes of this bio on Jake was such a downer because they focused so heavily on his childhood and kind of what, what got him into wrestling. And it's not really a happy story at all. No. And that, that, you know, that is the thing with, uh, with wrestling, you know, it makes you, it brings you in and, you know, makes you really care about these guys. And then when you get the behind the scenes stuff, so often it's like, ooh, yeah. There, there's a lot of a lot of dark corners, which of course led to that show, you know, coming to prominence, Dark Side of the Ring, and uh, you know, there's a lot of weird, weird and unpleasant stories behind the scenes, and a lot of guys who you loved on screen turn out to be not exactly quality human beings off screen. So, wrestling just loves to take you on that roller coaster ride. 
Yeah. I mean, if you also, if you watch the resurrection of Jake, the snake, you kind of got that flavor from that period of his life too. Yeah. Um, but the one thing WWE does really well is they put together these, these bios and this one was really, really um, strong. I thought uh, they bookend it with Jake fishing essentially with his two sons and he could not be happier at this point in his life to have a relationship with those kids because uh, that was not the case for most of most of their life. Um, but what they do in this bio is they focus on Jake's strengths. They they focus that camera in on his face, his eyes, and his mouth, and he basically cuts a two-hour promo that is that is just vintage jake the snake roberts with some commentary from other people kind of just burst in and some footage and stuff but for the most part this is jake roberts telling his story and it's really good yeah and it kind of like you said it doesn't break a whole lot of new ground because it's basically a culling of dark side of the ring and um resurrection in other words it's it's all stuff you've seen before and uh, especially when it gets to his, uh, I mean, I don't know if you can call, I don't know if you can pinpoint a rock bottom for Jake cause it lasted over a decade, but you know, it's, it's all stuff that you've seen in bits and pieces before, but they're just kind of culling it all together here and giving it all to you in one big chunk. Yeah. The featured sort of commentary came from Jake, his son, Dustin, his son, Derek, his daughter, Brandy, his sister, Robin. Rock and Robin, Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart, Dime Dallas Page, Peter Rosenberg, The Undertaker, Ricky Steamboat briefly, and Jerry Lawler briefly. So those are the people that were kind of contributing to the overall doc uh, in celebration of you know Jake's life or whatever. Um, you know, Jake says, "I gave wrestling everything I had, and what little I didn't give up, wrestling took that too." But as you go through this documentary, he kind of makes some other statements that contradict that in the sense that he said he hated wrestling growing up. He felt like wrestling cheated him out of a father. But at some point he realizes that no, wrestling didn't cheat him out of a father. His father cheated him out of a father. So he has sort of this weird relationship with wrestling because he kind of opens the show saying how it's his life and it's, you know, he loves it. And then he goes into talking about how as a kid he hated it. And then he also talks about how it took everything. But I think largely he had some demons and his dad had worse demons, if that's even possible. And those are the, the contributing factors to the, uh, the anger towards wrestling. Yeah. And it, I mean, his whole, his whole family around him. I mean, there's this, the sordid uh, details of how Jake even comes to be. And then he grows up for a good portion of his life. You know, his first about 12 years uh, with his grandparents, and although was, you know he's got nothing bad to say about his grandmother, his grandfather was an alcoholic, uh, you know, so he's got that right there in front of him too. His father has myriad issues, and you know, he, he didn't have really a healthy template to learn from. Yeah, he says if he could, you know, you can't pick your parents, but if you could, he'd keep his mom and to hell with his dad. He said, yeah. um, and you know, for good reason. I think his mom was 12 when Jake was conceived conceived. So um, 
Jake's dad was actually hooking up with Jake's grandmother and she passed out. So Grizzly Smith decided to go into the next room and he uh, raped Jake's mother, who was 12 years old at the time. Yeah. What a Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know. And if you think that's bad enough, uh, Jake's sister, Robin, explains that her her mother was only 13 or 14 year old years old when she got pregnant from grizzly smith the first time so this is a a pattern with this man yeah and you know the the dark side went into further detail about how you know he would whenever he went to a particular town he would pick up these young girls and you know the 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 mothers and fathers would be waving as the he pulled away in the car with him to take them to the wrestling show and it just god it just brings up the bile in the back of your throat that this was going on and you know and there were jokes about it in the locker room so at least the people in the you know who worked with him kind of knew and yet it was, I, I i will never understand how stuff like that happens in broad daylight and without being called out yeah something that vile mm. you know um and despite all that Jake desperately wanted the approval of his dad. Yeah. And so that that kind of is what got him into wrestling. You know, Jake explains that when he graduated high school, he went to his dad and he said, I graduated. He actually graduated with honors. He was a good student. And he says, I want to go to college and be an architect. And Jake's dad is like, what do you want from me? Afraid that Jake's coming to him for money or whatever. And all Jake really wanted was his approval. So comes out of this and he ends up getting into wrestling and his dad sees his first match or whatever and jake makes a mess of things and he's bad at it or whatever and jake's dad says you'll never amount to anything you're an embarrassment i'm embarrassed that you're my son and jake i am not a religious person but i can understand given what jake went through why he is he prayed to the devil as a young man to make him a great wrestler he prayed to the devil to make him a great wrestler and to be better than his dad so that his dad would have to eat those words and jake became a great wrestler but he was also surrounded by demons so i can see where the religion would (laughs) would really resonate with jake he prayed to the devil he got his wish he also got the demons that would come with uh, a, a pact with the devil and then later in life he cleans himself up and has a relationship with God, but man, that's heavy. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm sure there's a time element in there that, that stretches it out a little bit more, but Jake made, made it seem like, you know, he graduated high school in Texas, like you said, with honors, but his, he knew his father was not going to be there. His father was on the road working wherever he went. And Jake got in the car, drove to Louisiana just to basically say, like, hey, dad, I graduated. And to, to say, like, you know, that that is my my wishes to become an architect. I'm going to college, you know, hooray. And all he wanted was a pat on the back and, a, you know, I'm proud of you, kid. And like you said, Grizzly's response was, well, I hope you don't want anything from me. Yeah. So Jake, once again, I'm sure there's a different time element to it, but Jake kind of made it sound like he decided right then and there he was going to get into wrestling. So he was an 18 year old kid. He played a little high school football. Uh, You know, he was in pretty good shape. He's a tall kid, a little bit lanky at the time, but like he kind of decided right there he wanted to get involved. 
and his first match, as you said, and he went into further detail about how it was kind of a short, pudgy guy that they put him in the ring with. And this guy absolutely humiliated him, tied him in yeah. knots, made him look a fool. And that's when Grizzly said those words, and you know, you'll never amount to anything, and you I'm embarrassed to be your father, blah blah blah. And that's what set Jake off on this road to you know, he was going to with absolutely no training, no formal training. And and you know, like they don't really get into that. Like he just decided, like, hey, I'm on the road with you now, I'm a wrestler now. And yeah. there was no training involved. They just threw him in the ring. He admits that for two years he was absolutely awful. He was basically bumped down to, you know, refereeing uh, duties most of the time, as I guess he was learning. And then eventually at one point it all clicked for him and he started to become the performer that we would uh, eventually see. But, like, you know, Jake kind of makes it sound like it all happened in one day. Like he graduated, jumped in the car, went to Louisiana, Grizzly pissed him off, and he started wrestling that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Jake's born in 55, so I think, uh so let's so if we do if we do the math by the time 1980 rolls around he'd be about 25 years old he gets the call from vince in 1986 so in theory based on the timeline he's probably been wrestling about 10 years by the time he gets a call from vince mcmahon um so he's worked out the kinks he's terrific communicator uh those eyes and the smile and he says he, you know, he says he started learning that when he was a real little kid because he had to lie all the time, and so all that makes that makes sense. He talks about the origins of the DDT, where he was he basically had somebody in a, a, a front face lock, and the guy stepped on his foot and he fell backwards, and that invented the DDT. And he used DDT because at the time, um, the federal government had outlawed the substance DDT because you know bald eagles were dying and stuff like that so um so it's this uh banned substance something jake would grow to know a lot about um and that that the move is is named after but you know and and brett hart's in there and he's talking about how god it was so hard to come up with a new move in wrestling and i would have loved to come up with a new move like that uh so to have to be able to innovate with something so simple right so simple but so effective and what's what's crazy is he would then once the det got over as a move and it was over he would just whip his hand around to kind of signal to the crowd that it was coming and it whipped them straight into a frenzy and this is this is happening before he goes big and goes national with wwe this is this is like those independent nwa days before he gets to the national stage. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and when you think about it, you know, today it's used as a transitional move, this, that, and the other thing. During Jake's heyday, was there a more convincing finisher? No. I mean, you know, the, the, the stunner might be, whether you say the stunner, the diamond cutter slash RKO, you know, because you can put them on anyone and they've become, they've probably become arguably two of the best finishers of all time. But man, when you, when you saw Jake drop someone with the DDT, there was no question. You don't hear it in this doc, but I know there's a point where Jake goes to Dallas page and says, thank you for reinventing the DDT because the RKO cutter 
the diamond cutter, whatever you want to call it. It's it's a variation. It's a it's a really big variation of the AT, but it but it's what you just said. It can be applied to anybody at any time, and it's basically driving their face into the canvas. Is yeah. is the concept? Now, when Jake gets the call to WWE, I didn't know. I didn't I had not heard him tell this particular story, uh, or I don't remember it. He has the meeting with Vince. And Vince says, well, we want to put you in some neon green tights, maybe some purple as well. And uh, we're going to have you carry a 12-foot python to the ring. And, oh, and snake snakeskin boots up to your knees. Jake's ready to tell him to go to hell. But then <laughs> Vince slides the, uh, the sheet of paper with the with his pay across. <laughs> and and uh, and that is enough to convince Jake that yeah sure he'll wear those neon green tights that's no problem. He <laughs> <laughs> had never seen so many zeros. Exactly. That was the line I was looking for in my notes. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen so many zeros, and I I decided I was gonna make those stupid green tights work. Yeah. Now this was a WWE produced documentary, the Annie Bio, and if it is a great example of showing that wrestlemania is the time capsule for for if you want to have if you want to be remembered in the wwe legacy you need to have some wrestlemania moments because almost exclusively all of the content that they used to show jake roberts came from wrestlemania the only exception that i can think of was the ricky steamboat stuff and randy uh, and randy and randy you're right those were the and of course and randy's super the uh, randy savage stuff was super memorable but you had footage of the honky tonk man from wrestlemania 3 with alice cooper we got footage we got footage of the rick rude match from wrestlemania 4 which is about as bad a match as i can remember <laughs> jake roberts or rick rude participating in it was and it was a 15 minute time limit draw on a sh- the longest match on that whole card but and it was the worst match so and think about that. Those yeah. two had a fantastic rivalry over the Intercontinental title, but they went to the WrestleMania match. You know, yes. like that. Yeah. I don't know if it's laziness or just proves your point that, you know, WrestleMania is the measuring stick. Yes, it's the it's the time capsule. It's how you how people remember things because there's a huge huge cross section of the fandom that watch it watched a WrestleMania or watched a series of WrestleManias and remembers those without really watching all the stuff that kind of interweaved around it and in between. Um, We have a lot of footage of the Andre the Giant feud from WrestleMania 5 and the Ted uh, Ted DiBiase from WrestleMania 6. We don't, as I recall, get any footage of Rick Martel in the blindfold match for 7. That was yeah, that, completely omitted, but and I don't I don't know why. By its absence, yeah, yeah, uh, and then of course the WrestleMania eight match with the Undertaker, and you get a lot of comments from the Undertaker because they rode together and stuff like that. And, and Taker is so smooth when he's talking about things that he doesn't want to really talk about right. because he goes on saying you know things were getting kind of bad or whatever. He doesn't talk about what things were getting bad. Uh, and later, Jake talks about how he got the job. He, you know, when he comes back in '96, 
he got the job he wanted with the booking and all that stuff. They don't talk about the huge rift that was going on right. in 92 between Jake and Vince and what was what was happening behind the scenes. But um, but they do talk about, you know, Jake basically leaves in 92. And he says for 15 years, he was a ghost, basically. He, you know, he fell into his demons. And he must have had like a brief uh, point in that 96 to 97 era where he just pulled himself out long enough to get back with the WWE. And he, and Jake said at the end, by the end of 96, he would, could have main evented anywhere. He was on top of the world, but it wouldn't last. It would not last. And, uh, but he's remembered for both runs in WWE really, really well. They don't talk about his WCW run at all. Um, although it was only four months. If you go back, he, he came in August. He was gone by December, and then you know he he wrestled in New Japan and all all over. But he, he dropped uh, the ECW for a hot second, and uh, you know got involved in the I think it was Dreamer and Raven, whatever the case may be. Yeah, it was he was all over the place. But he came back, and you know there's really only one thing memorable about that second run. You know, okay, he's he's a born again Christian, this and the other, and it all leads to King of the Ring. Yeah. Yeah, and it—I mean—it's super memorable. Peter Rosenberg kind of lays it out in the in the A and E doc that if Jake didn't return in '96, and if he was not a born again Christian, and if he was not wrestling Steve Austin, and if he had not referenced John three sixteen, then Austin wouldn't have referenced John three sixteen, and Austin would not have said Austin three sixteen says I just whipped your ass. Now Austin would have gotten over. Yeah. There's no question. But the Austin 316 t-shirt made that man a millionaire, I think. Exactly. You know, I mean, you could still that you could those shirts would sell today if they were, you know, if they were offered at the uh at, at a wrestling show. So um that was a huge, huge movement that wasn't a Jake movement, but was definitely inspired by Jake. Exactly. It doesn't happen without him. So it, 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 that's, you know, it, when you when you talk about Hall of Fame, you talk about, you know, people and their significance. Can you tell the story of wrestling without them? Can you tell the story of, you know, football, baseball without putting this person in the Hall of Fame? And Jake is one of those guys, which, once again, never held a title in WWF slash WWE. And yet you cannot tell the story of the history of the WWE because he without him because he connects to so many other major stars yeah yeah and he was so good on the mic and in promos and stuff um and i think what was interesting to me is this documentary showed me that he is still damn good yes because most of the time you see him now he's he's not really in this role too much in fact as we record this, he was on AEW Rampage like last week. Um, uh, that would have been uh, the February 25th or whatever episode of Rampage. But um, so anyway, he was he is on, on TV, but he's not really utilized to his fullest extent, I don't think, uh, even today. Yeah, they, they started, they were using him that way in the beginning to, to get Lance Archer over. They let Jake talk just as much, if not more, than Archer, and it was working. But then Jake had some health issues, and that, that was the thing that in the opening of this documentary, 
I don't know that they that it was done on purpose, but the thing that clicked in my mind when Jake's on the boat with his two sons fishing, he's like, ah, isn't this the greatest? You just got to sometimes you just got to come out here and breathe the air. And that really kind of hit home with me because for about a year and a half, Jake couldn't go anywhere without an oxygen tank. His, yeah. you know, he's got COPD from the years of smoking and other abuse to his body. And for about a year and a half, it looked like it, I wasn't sure we were ever going to see Jake on TV again because he couldn't go anywhere without the oxygen. So how are you going to use him on a wrestling show? Yeah. And I guess he, you know, through whatever treatments and whatever rehab he was doing for his lungs, he's gotten to the point where he doesn't need to carry around the oxygen anymore. And thank God, because now you can get him back on TV, like even again. He didn't have a big part last week when he came out with Archer, but just seeing him back on TV kind of, you know, warmed my heart a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, the, the show whole show was bookended with that, that fishing scene, you know, right. like you said, breathing the air and stuff. Um, they don't, they do go into those dark days um, a little bit. They don't dwell on them. They show some footage that it's probably footage that you've seen. It's the common footage that they use of Jake during that time where he is, his mouth is a mess and, you know, he's stumbling over his words. And it, it's not something you want to remember Jake as. But he talks about how those are important scenes in his life because of what it does for other people and gives other people hope that they can climb back out. And so now Dallas Page would, you know, said that his life and and his daughter, actually, his daughter, Brandy and Dallas both said that his life is really about helping other people now. So, you know, taking the negative, turning it into a positive. He had a horrible, horrible uh, batch of years where he was battling demons. And now his path forward is helping other people battle their demons. Yeah. And is it, and even though his life is really good, he seems to be close with um, uh, his sons uh, Derek and Dustin. Uh, it seems like Brandy, she's still like she doesn't let him get away with anything. Like you know, she she talks about the ugliness and but she she you know she does call him dad. You know, like there's sometimes there's there's that that disconnection where they, you know, you refer to somebody you don't care, you know, like she doesn't call him Jake. She refers to him as dad, even while she's telling the story of dad driving her or her driving with dad to college and him smoking crack across, you know, three straight lines, the three state lines, I should say. Uh, but it's not perfect because, you know, you see three of his kids in this documentary and it seems like he's got varying degrees of a relationship with them that are getting better. And I did not realize this. He goes on to say he's got eight children and four of them flat out do not speak to him, want nothing to do with him still to this day, even in his rehabilitated form. So life's not perfect, but he got himself back on track to a degree. Right. Yeah. One of the sons, I think it was Dustin, made a good analogy of how their relationship is like building a house. And a few years ago, they started building the foundation and then they put the walls up and now they have a pretty good house to sit in, but you know, like you like you said, it's a construction project. It's it's ongoing. So he's been sober for about ten years now. So this latter part of his of his life is is good. But you know what's what's interesting is if you watch that resurrection of Jake the Snake or even just the clips from 
that were on this A&E biography, you can see how the condition Jake was in when Dallas first approached him. And that DVD came out in 2012. You know, Jake wrestled almost 40 matches after 2012. How many? I'm sorry. Almost 40. Oh, my God. Now, I don't know. I'm sure to a large extent he probably wasn't a tag match. And they might have tagged him in. Maybe he did the DDT. Right. <laughs> or maybe he just did a short arm clothesline. Right. It would probably be more, make more, more sense. But... But in any case, you know, he he to see where he was when Dallas first found him, to realize that he could in a in a couple of years' time or however long, actually got himself to a point where he could get in a ring, like walk up the ring steps. Right. Is pretty impressive. Yeah. And, and and just to think about that, you know, he goes through his second divorce, and you know, he has his run with the WWE in '96 and into '97. He goes through his second divorce in 98, and that's when he kind of completely falls apart. Uh, that Beyond the Mat was the other documentary I was thinking of oh, earlier. Yeah. I couldn't get out of my head. That's 99. Um, the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view that if you listen to uh, Daily Wrestling News Show episode 51, uh, I broke down for you, which is widely remembered as one of the worst pay-per-views in the history of wrestling. Jake is, once again, an absolute mess, and you would almost say to yourself, if you watched that evening, this must be Jake's rock bottom. Yeah. His rock bottom went on for another almost 13 years. It is astonishing that that man is still alive. It is. It is. And there must be more good for him to do in the world. Because when I, when I, I was thinking about that this morning, that all these people that died young, all these wrestlers that died young, somehow Jake kept kicking out. He even said in this documentary that he tried to kill himself about five times. Right. And that it, you know, never worked out. He threw up the pills and whatnot. But for some reason, he has uh he has managed to live on. And you know, maybe it's because of the relationship that he that he eventually got back with his kids that he is able to to kind of persevere. But he looks happy now, and I think that is – when I first started watching this A&E bio, I thought to myself, my God, is WWE going to produce a tragedy documentary? That is just not their style. Right. And that's where this thing was looking like it was headed. But I guess the hope is there. You know, if you look at the, the arc of his life, he had those great years, and which frankly was only about six years. Mm-hmm where he was wrestling in WWF on top. Right. He had those great years. And then basically after that, with the exception of a couple short windows where he could peek out and have a little bit of success and, and dignity, really, he was fighting demons the whole time. Yeah. 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 You're absolutely right. He has those six years. And then other than that, it's just, you know, best to call it moments. He has a moment here or there, but there's no real quote unquote run to be had. Right. All right. Well, happy birthday, Jake Roberts. Today would be his 68th birthday. I think I got that right. So, uh, so happy birthday to Jake Roberts. I really enjoyed the documentary. He said at the end, he said, I'm glad WWE is doing 
this piece on me because I think this will help people also the same way that the resurrection of Jake the Snake helped. And I think he's right. I think if somebody is battling some of these demons that he had and they watch this show, hopefully it gives them the hope that they need to uh, to move forward. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the uh, like it's something you could just not really pay much attention to. But once again, kind of stuck with me. The last few moments, they 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 cut away. They go back. They go, every time they come back to Jake, Jake's in a car and Jake's driving. He's driving himself around. He's going to you know whatever he's going to. You know he's he's driving his own car, and I think that's something that for almost twenty years either could not possibly happen or would have been a death defying experience. And like even that little normalcy in his life, I think is, is, is noteworthy at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, I don't think there's much more we can say about it. Jake, the snake, obviously one of John DeConi's favorite wrestlers, one of my absolute favorite to listen to for sure. Um, and, uh, and happy birthday, Jake, the snake. Happy birthday, Jake. Now said the Daily Wrestling News Show is a Minutes to Bell Time production. Find out more at minutestobelltime.com. Today's episode was recorded by Ryan Joy and John DeConti. We utilized the A&E biography on Jake the Snake Roberts as source material when discussing this episode. Subscribe to the Daily Wrestling News Show on your podcast player of choice and join us in the Daily Wrestling News Show Facebook group. We'll see you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show.